Welcome to Coach House Talks. Thanks so much for the invitation and the welcome. And uh, Hazel and I are pleased to be with you this morning and having the, the joy of sharing in the Word of God. And thank you for your prayers as a fellowship for our granddaughter. Um, she was in a circumstance where her heart stopped for seven minutes. She was in Norway, and two girls who ministered to her had never done CPR before, except on a dummy. And one did that and told the other to breathe into her mouth. She was flown by air ambulance to Trondheim Hospital. She lives in Trondheim, studying at university there. 24 hours induced coma. Mother flew up from Oslo at her bedside when she came to. And when she came to, Sarah said, did I die? And her mum said, yes. For seven minutes, your heart stopped. And Sarah, who's born again, said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Her dad died when he was 29. His heart suddenly stopped. She said, was it like daddy? She's 24. And her mum said, no, because you're still here. And Sarah said, I'm like Lazarus. <laughs> <laughs> She's now got a defib fitted and uh, is fit and well. And we praise God. Thank you for the, the surrounding prayer. So I read recently, I'll readily admit that as Christians, we believe some out-of-the-world stuff. We believe in creation and miracles, a global flood and supernatural plagues. We believe in the incarnation where God became man. We believe in the resurrection of the dead the future rapture of the church, a time when God judges the entire world and the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And this morning, we're looking at the big picture in the book of Revelation, part two. Pastor Andy last week said this, in the midst of chaos, Jesus reigns. Do you know there are two books in the Bible the devil doesn't want us to read? He doesn't want us to read the first three chapters in Genesis and the last three chapters in Revelation. Because the start of Genesis tells us we were created, we did not evolve. It tells us there is an enemy, a deceiver, and it tells us about the fall. 
and the last three chapters in Revelation that Satan doesn't want us to read tells us about Satan's doom and his ultimate destiny in the lake of fire. He wants to keep it a secret. Why do you think he's made those books, Genesis and Revelation, so controversial? The Bible tells us there is a heaven. Heaven is a prepared place. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. Hell is a prepared place. Prepared for the devil and his angels. And therefore, Amos, the prophet, says, prepare to meet your God. Do you know him? Is your name in the Lamb's book of life? Is he your Lord and Savior? Long time ago, learned to chorus, the best book to read is the Bible. Have you read it? If the people of God don't read it, unbelievers aren't likely to pick it up and get reading it. What about the book of Revelation? Read it before the year ends if you've not read it. It's only 404 verses with 400 references to the Old Testament. And read it for this reason. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And it means to read it out loud. So you can be hearing it and speaking it and it's going into your spirit. And the word says, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written. My prayer for this morning is that we will take to heart what is written in this book. Have you ever cried out, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, before you judge the earth? You hear the news and you start to cry. You say, it can't get worse. This is horrible. And so you cry out, how long? It's the cry of the martyrs. It's the cry through the ages. It's the cry of people in Ukraine. It's the cry of people in Myanmar. It's the cry of people on the earth. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, before you judge the earth? And how many times have we prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the book of Revelation speaks about that judgment and speaks about heaven on earth, heaven come down. You see, in the Gospels, we see Jesus in the days of his flesh. 
But that doesn't give us the full revelation of Jesus Christ. We see him in humiliation, the suffering servant born to die. But in revelation, we see him in glory. We see him in charge. This is God's world. We see him in full command, in absolute control. And the wrath of the Lamb terrifies the earth. wonder if you've ever been to a portrait gallery and you're waiting for the unveiling ceremony and the time arrives and someone pulls the cord and all the drapery falls away and you see what's behind the curtain. And that's what we have in the book of Revelation. The main event, the central truth, the return of Jesus Christ to earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules the nations with an iron rod. We preach the second advent, not to scare you, but to prepare you. These are things that God has foreordained. The great Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McChain in Dundee, he said to a member of his congregation, do you think... Jesus Christ will come again today? And the person replied, oh no, not today. And McShane said, be prepared, because at an hour that you think not, the Son of Man will return. One of the unique features of the God of the Bible is that he accurately predicts the truth. No other religion does this. Isaiah 42 and verse 9 says this, See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. All the prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ were fulfilled so accurately. For every one prophecy of his first coming, there are five about his second coming and they will be fulfilled because the scripture cannot be broken. He is truth. His word is truth. One purpose of prophecy, it's like hazard warning lights on the motorway to lift our hearts in expectation 
and in warning to motivate us to live holy lives in an unholy world. I can remember as a kid, my dad would say something to me when I was off the rails, and then he would say, mark my words. He would say, take heed. And that's what these warnings in the word are for. The Holy Spirit says, mark my words, take heed. They're like hazard warning lights on the motorway. Luther and Calvin virtually ignored the book of Revelation. They said it was so obscure. But now, 2022 in the digital age and living in a global village, it seems so likely. Many are indifferent about Christ's return. Don't give it a thought. Never crosses their mind. Derek Prince used to say, if Jesus came again suddenly, many would be saying, it's good to have you back. Why not stay for a coffee? We'd like to get to know you better. Get to know him now in this day of grace. The church is mentioned 16 times in the first three chapters of Revelation and then mention no more because at the end of Revelation and by the beginning of chapter 4 I believe the rapture has occurred that great snatch of God where we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ rise first, then we which remain are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The church is mentioned no more. It's in heaven, rescued from the wrath to come. And then Revelation chapter 4 and see what John sees. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once... I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. John sees a throne. It's the control center of God's kingdom where decrees are made. God is sovereign. Too wise to make a mistake. 46 times in the book of Revelation, the throne is mentioned. 
It stands for the majesty of God Almighty. And around the throne is a complete circle of a rainbow. In heaven, all things are completed. Usually, a rainbow appears after the storm, but here it precedes the storm. The unbearable brightness of his purity. He wraps himself in light. And then verse 6 we read, Before the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. John's struggling for words. He hasn't got the vocabulary. It's as if it looks like he's seeing things people have not seen before. Ezekiel had the same situation. It was like it had the appearance of. And the sovereignty and the serenity and the tranquility and the peace. And chapter 4 is full of praise to the Father on the throne. For you have created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And then chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw... In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? The scroll is the title deed to the earth. It was rolled up to a certain point and there a seal was put upon the edge so it couldn't be opened until the seal was broken. And no one was found in heaven or earth or under the earth, worthy to open the scroll. And John says, I wept. Verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the centre of the throne. Jesus is the appointed executor of the divine purposes. 
These are sealed orders in the scroll for the end of history, and they are about to be revealed. Who's worthy to wrap it all up? Who's worthy to break the seals? It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Guru Nanak. Who is worthy? It's not Zoroaster. It's not Krishna. It's not Moses. Jesus is worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah, who is also the lamb. There he, he saw him bearing the marks of slaughter. Verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. Jesus is the appointed heir of all things, the radiancy of God's glory, the perfect, sinless God-man. And unbroken praise erupts from every created being in every part of the universe. A thunderous Amen, the Lion and the Lamb. One day, the Lamb will break the seals and put in motion events that will lead to his return. There are 11 major songs that ring out in Revelation. It's a song that never has an ending. John 5, we read, The Father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Son that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Now chapter 6 is a watershed. Christ breaks each seal. And in the economy of God, he allows trouble, tribulation for a purpose. It's to separate the wheat from the chaff. 
Didn't Jesus promise? And perhaps this is one of those promises we've not underlined in our Bible. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. A God-denying world must come to judgment. The steps of God from mercy to judgment are always slow and measured. He is slow to anger. Warnings are given again and again. Judgment is God's strange work. There's a great verse in Isaiah 28, verse 21. The Lord will rise up to do his work, his strange work, and perform his task, his alien task. When men don't fear God and don't fear death, when they think there is no God to fear and death is annihilation, they are lost and without hope. F.F. F. Bruce said, God's wrath is the necessary response of his holiness to persistent wickedness. If the grace of the Lamb is rejected in this day of grace, if his salvation is spurned when he says, come to me, whosoever will may come, then wrath must be faced. It's different sides of the same coin. And it's going to come down heads or tails. Now, many don't like this. Have you a better suggestion how God should put down rebellion on this earth? Infinite God, who is infinite wisdom and infinite love from eternal ages, couldn't come up with anything different. Vernon McGee says, your plan, my plan, to save the world wouldn't be as messy as God's. It wouldn't involve a crucifixion. You'd forgive the impenitent and violate the free will of people who don't want God or his heaven and then you'd have a rebellion on your hands. Here's the big picture. God is in charge. He's working his purposes out as year succeeds year. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what he is doing. There's no coup d'etat. There's no regime change. Our God reigns.
future events cast their shadows before them. And there are three phases of catastrophe. The seals and the trumpets and the bowls. And the seven trumpets are phases of the campaign. They give details of what happens under the seals. Here's a spoiler. This is not bedtime reading. <laughs> if you think that Revelation is just a book for cranks and religious know-alls, how wrong you are. It's God's book of judgment to come. And it hots up until it reaches hellfire. In Revelation, we learn of dreadful horrors. A scorched earth, polluted seas, contaminated rivers, light rapidly being withdrawn. Darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. We read of the release of satanic locusts and then the release of four evil angels who are bound by the great river Euphrates. Half the world's population will be dead by the end of the sixth trumpet blast. Even during these judgments, demon worship prevails and multitudes refuse to repent. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They call to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? What a thrice holy God is doing may not look right to you. But if you don't think he's doing the right thing, you're wrong, not God. The wrath of the Lamb is going to startle the world someday. The outraged lamb will take direct action on that dread and awful day, the day of vengeance of our God. Haven't you read? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
You see, the triumph of righteousness involves the overthrow of wickedness. And unbelief won't stop it because the scripture cannot be broken. Revelation unmasks the devil and reveals his doom. And here's the big picture. God is calling all the shots. He never leaves himself without a witness. All is held back until the 144,000 messianic Jews are sealed in their foreheads as end-time evangelists during the seven years of tribulation when anti-Semitism will increase exponentially. In 1 John 4, we read, Many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which even now is already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist has been gathering strength throughout the ages. Antichrist, anti-against, it's the spirit which is against Christ, against the anointing. Anti is also instead. It's the spirit which is instead of Christ, instead of one way in him. It's a diabolical substitute for the Holy Trinity. And in chapter 13 of Revelation, we see an imitation satanic trinity emerging, hell-bent on an explosion of evil and wickedness once the spirit-filled church has been raptured and that restraining spirit has gone. That unholy trinity, Satan, the enormous red dragon, Antichrist, the beast, Satan's masterpiece, the devil incarnate, a satanic superman who becomes a political world leader, and the false prophet, the backer of the Antichrist, a dangerous deceiver, a religious leader. Satan, when hurled down to earth, goes berserk, knowing his time is short. The dragon trinity will brainwash the nations into marching against Israel. The Battle of Armageddon is an attempt to drive God out of his universe. But here's the big picture. God is sovereign. He is utterly in charge. 
He's calling all the shots. Revelation 17, verse 17. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. He's in charge. All of this he has seen from the beginning. This is what he is about. And now as we come towards the close, Babylon, God's name for the world system of the beast. It has now come to judgment. The Lord God Almighty's judgments are true and just. In chapter 17, the false religious system is judged. Mystery Babylon, the apostate church, is judged. Chapter 18, Babylon the Great, the entire commercial and economic system and political system is judged. After all the warnings, when judgment falls, it comes suddenly. And you get it there in chapter 18. In one hour, your doom has come. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. And the reign of Antichrist is brought down. And how do the saints feel about that? Revelation 19, verse 6 and 7. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The king is coming. Chapter 19, verse 11. And here is the second coming. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one but he himself knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the Word of God. 
The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown alive into the lake of fire. That's a fire that neither annihilates nor purifies. It torments forever and ever. Then Satan is bound for a thousand years and thrown into the abyss. Ultimately, he ends up also in the lake of fire. And there's the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the great white throne judgment. At the end of the millennium, unbelievers are raised, and we read this, chapter 20, verse 11, then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. All the lost of all the ages are summoned to their accounting at the supreme court of the universe, the great white throne. And imagine the horror of someone standing before the Lord and the books are opened and your name is not there. And there's nothing you can do. Would you check? Would you just go through the list again? You say, my name is not in the book. Here's the big picture. Chapter 21. Then I saw. 
a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And here's the big picture. The new Jerusalem a beautiful walled garden city, and the Lamb will be all the glory there, and we shall see his face. We'll have a new body, a glorious body, a resurrection body. The city is full of light. It's like a precious gem, the city of pure gold like transparent glass and Jesus hands over to his father the kingdom and the church the bride of Christ the church is to be the vessel for the display of the glory of God throughout all the ages to come God's original purpose with mankind is accomplished, and that is fellowship. He now has a redeemed creation, which is a free moral agent who chooses to worship and serve him eternally. Last scripture, chapter 22 and verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life 
and may go through the gates into the city. Where will you spend eternity? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Oh, that will be glory for me when by his grace I shall look on his face. That will be glory, be glory for me. Remember an old song, by and by, when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face, by and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more, more, so much more, more of my life than I e'er gave before, by and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. Shall we bow our heads and pray? Holy God, you confront us with your claims upon our lives. Pray, Father, that we may not resist you, but yield ourselves in full surrender to serve you all our days, all the time that remains to us, that there may be that time when we go through the gates into the city, singing your praises, washed in the blood of the Lamb, for your glory eternally. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.